Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's no greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Hi guys, so good to be with you. Uh, we are continuing on in our uh, Joseph series, um, looking at the life of, of Joseph. Uh, and I, for one, am uh, particularly glad that we are, um, because um, other than Jesus, um, it's between Joseph and uh, Thierry Henry uh, for my favourite person in human history. And so much so that when it came to the naming of our second son, um, after Thierry was shot down, um, as was Henry, um, there really was only one name to call our son. And so we named him Joseph, or Joey, after this great man here. Um, but that, that's really only the, the, the tip of the iceberg, actually. Uh, because not only is my son called Joseph, but my grandpa is called Joseph, the, the husband of my grandma that I sometimes speak about. 
But then not only is my son called Joseph and my grandpa called Joseph, I'm called Joseph. That's, that's actually my name. Um, a few years ago, I discovered my birth certificate. And um, for many years, I thought my middle name was Joseph. But uh, to my surprise, um, Toby uh, was my middle name and Joseph was my first name. And so, hi, I'm Joseph. Um, and uh, upon making this discovery, I obviously went and told my wife, uh, Nina, and I was like, I'm Joseph, by the way. Um, she was obviously kind of like, what are you talking about? Um, and after I explained the situation, we did have a moment where we wondered whether we actually, therefore, have been legally married all this time. And if not legally married, then if our children have ever been born, um, even though one of them at the time was sort of running around in front of us. Um, so it was a pretty strange event in a person's life. Um, but, but, but now it gets weird, <laughs> okay? And you will see why I say it gets weird, because, because Joseph had two children, and I have two children. Joseph's two children were boys. My two children are boys. And the names of Joseph's two children, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, uh, have the same name meanings as my two children in the same order, Joseph's wife is also called Asinath, which has pretty much the same meaning as my wife's name, Nina. And, and so it does get, uh, as I say, very, very weird here. But, um, but by far, by far the most striking resemblance between uh, myself and Joseph uh, is seen in verse 6 of our passage where it says, uh, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, since discovering my birth certificate, uh, this particular verse has bumped up uh, to becoming my favourite verse in the whole Bible. Um, I couldn't really tell you why, though, actually. Um, but, but in truth, in truth, if you are a Christian here, if you're a Christian watching, um, your life bears similarity to Joseph as well. Uh, you identify with him just as much, if not more, than I do. Uh, with Joseph at one time being a young person with big dreams for his life. A person who later on in his life would wonder whether these dreams had basically died. Uh, with Joseph enduring high levels of family dysfunction, uh, he would endure the premature loss of his mother. He was fiercely bullied. He would endure seasons of relentless and frustrating sexual temptation. Uh, he would have years, years of feeling forgotten by God. Uh, he would find himself in a pit and unable to move out of it. Uh, he would be single uh, with seemingly no prospect at all on the horizon of marriage. Uh, and therefore, he would have to come to terms with the fact that he may never, ever have children uh, he would therefore know seasons of intense uh, loneliness he would he would have to work through the forgiving of family members he would have seasons where he just cried and cried and cried any of this ring does it make sense to you just see this in your life at all these features you, if you're a Christian, your life bears profound resemblance to, to Joseph's uh, life um, because Joseph's life bears profound resemblance to Jesus' life. And, and Joseph's, life, Joseph's life's related to Jesus' life and, and your life is related to Jesus' life, which is why your life and Joseph's life bear resemblance. Now, that, to be fair, might sound like gobbledygook, what I've just said. So what I've done is I have 
done, I'm doing what I don't normally do. I don't normally like to do this, but I've mocked up a, a, a diagram that should be coming up on the screen about now. And what you see here is you see um, a triangle and you have Jesus at the top of the triangle. Um, at, I will just say at this point that uh, uh, this is a triangle and not a pyramid. What I'm not saying is uh, becoming a Christian is a pyramid scheme where Jesus is at the top and you and Joseph at the bottom. Um, that's not that's that's not what I'm saying. Um, what I am saying is it's it's a triangle here. Okay, Jesus is at the top of the triangle. Uh, Joseph is bottom left because his life was pre-Jesus. Your life is bottom right because your life was post-Jesus. And as you can see from the arrows, the arrows are coming down from Jesus' life and streaming in uh, to Joseph's life before him and your life after him uh, what that essentially is meaning is that the themes and the experiences of Jesus life are being kind of played out in each of the lives below uh, Joseph's life being a preview of Jesus's life your life being a review of Jesus's life and therefore the two lives at the bottom your life and Joseph's life bear real similarity by virtue of who we are connected, who we are joined to, being joined to Jesus. And, and the truth is that you could do that and say that for um, pretty much all of the, um, the heroes of the, of the Bible that are Christians. Um, but Joseph's life is particularly helpful because there's just so much content and we see in detail uh, what he, he goes through in his life. And so really, through this story, God allows us to sneak a peek behind the curtain to, to see the... The, the, the features, the, the key building blocks of how God likes to craft his masterpieces. Uh, we see through Joseph's life um, revealed much about Jesus' life that helps us understand better what Jesus would accomplish. We, we see therefore also through Joseph's life um, themes that we might be going through and we might be able to take heart from as well. So, so Joseph's life, though it's higgledy-piggledy, it's highs and terrible lows his life wasn't at all arbitrary joseph's life was art and in keeping with this theme of the artistry of god as we journey through joseph together what you are witnessing is god craft a tapestry a great tapestry and what makes a tapestry a tapestry or a painting fine art is the interplay between darkness and night how these two opposing forces uh, represented by colour uh, relate to one another and resolve themselves. Uh, meaning that, that, that far from being random, each, each thread is chosen and each pattern is woven with great precision. And you need to hear this, God will be doing that with the tapestry of your life. Great precision. Now, stand too close to the tapestry, focus on one specific event, uh, make a judgment too quickly or have your eyes too close to the picture and the tapestry won't make sense. What you'll find is you, you focus on the dark parts of the tapestry and that can lead to despair. Or alternatively, you get enamoured with the light parts of your tapestry and your pride can ensnare. No. The way to understand a tapestry, the way to appreciate a tapestry is to stand back. Uh, and your life might only begin to make sense when you, you kind of stand back, giving it the distance of years, even decades in some cases. Because it's only when you stand back that you start to notice themes, patterns and motifs. Favour, promotions, dreams, coats, in Joseph's case. 
And it's interesting that it's interesting that Joseph, he doesn't comment on his life as he's going through it. I find that fascinating. Uh, Joseph isn't one to grumble, and the Bible doesn't omit people and a people even that, that grumble against him. No, Joseph doesn't grumble, but more specifically, he doesn't comment too soon. It's almost like Joseph is reserving judgment on his life until later on. It's almost like he sees these highs and lows. He understands that he's got promises from God and he's like I'm not going to comment just yet it's like he's holding back uh, and Joseph would comment he would comment on his life later on in his story we see later on in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 Joseph says this for the first time he comments he says you meant it for evil against me but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today uh, meaning that through the tapestry of your love, life, uh, God is, is crafting a, a great masterpiece uh, worthy of being hung up on his wall. And as God's tapestry of your life, as your life hangs up on God's wall, if you like, God does, he does marvel at his work. <laughs> and he doesn't just marvel at his work, he actually, he actually boasts. He boasts about you. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth. Job chapter 1 verse 8. And yes, it's true. It's true that you will only fully see the fullness of your tapestry in eternity. And when I say in eternity, I specifically mean at the return of Jesus Christ. Because... Even after you have died, even after you have gone to be with the Lord, God still weaves. As through the, the, the legacy of your words, your writings, your, your witness, others gain strength, gain encouragement, maybe even gain inspiration from your life. Meaning that after you've gone to be with the Lord, as history continues on, until Jesus returns, your tapestry is still being embroidered. And so we learn a lot about this kind of, this kind of big mega themes, not, not judging too quickly, giving our lives a bit of distance for them to begin to make sense. But keeping with the tapestry theme, one of the, one of the key, one of the main, what, a tapestry is a tapestry because the, the interplay between the colours, between darkness and light. And, and, and that really is one of the, the, the realities of our life. Like, like what we see in Joseph's life is a, a consistent theme. And I'll show us in a moment, but the theme is, is death and resurrection. We see in Joseph's life death and resurrection numerous times. And, and if, if you're a Christian, your life will be characterised by seasons of death and resurrection. It's what we partake in in communion. It's what we celebrate in baptism. It's what Christ demonstrates in the gospel. It's the theme that reverberates through our lives. Death and resurrection. And as I say, we, we see death and resurrection many, many times in Joseph's life. It's one of the key, it's one of the key threads in all of God's masterpieces. So that with Joseph, he would go from pampered to, uh, he'd go from pan, pampered to pit, death. Uh, he would go from pit to Potiphar's house, resurrection. 
he would go from Potiphar's house to prime minister. Excuse me. He'd go from Potiphar's house to prison, death. He'd go from prison to prime minister, resurrection. He'd go from prime minister to facing his past, death, at the return of his brothers. And he'd go from, from working through his past to ultimately dispensing pardons to his brothers, resurrection. It's what Paul would call in the New Testament, knowing the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Knowing the power of his resurrection, becoming like him in his death, death and resurrection. What Paul is saying there, to paraphrase, is more death and resurrection, Lord. Why? Because in entering into Jesus' experience in this way, Paul understands that he gets to know more of God's comfort in death and more of God's power and resurrection. And death and resurrection, it's worth mentioning, we're not talking about like a day here. We're not talking about a good day or a bad day. I'm talking about, here comes the, the Christian word, uh, seasons. This is every Christian's favourite word, seasons. But it, it is a helpful word, it really is. Because as I say, a season isn't a day, it's, it's an extended period of time. And uh, with death and resurrection, you can of course have shorter seasons, you can have longer seasons. But, 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 but more specifically, the reason that death and resurrection seasons are best described as seasons is because I guess you can have a, a sunny day in winter when it's generally dark. And you can also have a dark day in summer when it's generally light. When I talk about Christians going through seasons of death, seasons of resurrection, take death, for example, I'm not talking about every single thing that happens to you in that season being the worst that it could possibly be. No, of course not. You will have some good days in, in, in dark times, absolutely. But what I'm talking about is the, the general feel, the, the general kind of flow of what is happening. That, that's, the, that's kind of what I, I'm saying here. And we see this in Joseph's life. We see seasons of, of death lasting years, and we see seasons of resurrection lasting years. And, and we see this, of course, in Jesus' life, famously. Uh, Jesus didn't rush from death to resurrection. No, Jesus would endure a, a season of death. And, and on the third day, he rose again. And because your life is so bound up with Jesus, uh, you will know seasons where you just have to kind of sit in death. And you'll also know seasons where you saw in resurrection. Uh, let me take death for just a moment. I didn't plan on saying this. I mentioned sitting in death. Sometimes in seasons of death, all you can do is sit and wait. Yeah? It's important to be full of faith, what I call sensible, pushing doors and, 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 trust, and, and trusting God and, and praying and, and, and fasting would be a very appropriate in those seasons. Absolutely. It's important to do those things. Don't hear me wrong. But 
sitting in death, oftentimes it's just, it's just waiting. You just have to wait. It's, it's God, it's the Lord that will come in, reach down into the pit, as we, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, and pull you out himself. Sometimes it's not that you've done anything wrong. Sometimes it's just having to wait, having the seasons of just sitting and saying, right, it's a season of death. Lord, my hope is in you. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who makes heaven and earth. And what this means then is, is when it comes to these seasons of death and resurrection, it means that you need not fear your bodily death nor be concerned about your bodily resurrection. Why? Because... Because in a sense, it shouldn't be foreign to you. It's just part of the same process that you've been enduring through your whole life, really. Death and resurrection. Which means you can go into your, your, your physical death with, with peace and, and, and confidence, actually. Why? Because you know God's raised you up from the dead many times before. And so with Joseph going through seasons of death, and, and, and this we see it coupled in, in our passage, Joseph is unusual. It's, it's, it would seem that it's unusual. <laughs> it's not unusual. But through seasons of death, Joseph is still the recipient of God's favour. And it's interesting because I, I don't know how many of us in, in our congregation uh, would be able to say this. Though... Though all of my hopes and dreams are being, before my very eyes, crushed, I still kind of feel the favour of God in my life. I don't know that many of us could, could, could say that. And I think the reason why we, we might not be able to is, if we're honest, it's down to our definition of, of favour. If we're being honest, we, we tend to view favour as a circumstantial. Uh, and, and to be more specific, we, we really tend to view favour as financial. <laughs> and therefore, it's, it's rather annoying <laughs> that this passage seeks to, to mess with our categories. Because Joseph was bullied, thrown in the pit, enslaved, wrongly accused, thrown in prison, all before the age of 30, mind you. And while all of these horrors, horrors, some of the worst things that could happen to a person continue to happen over and over and over again for this poor young man. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, the Lord was with him. Verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph. Four times in one chapter. Four times in one chapter. Though these horrors are happening to him, though Joseph's life is an absolute turmoil, the writer of Genesis keeps repeating this refrain. It's like the metronome in the life of Joseph. But God, hey, you're seeing this bad stuff happening to this young man, but God's with him. God's with him. God's with him. Don't get it twisted. Don't be mistaken. This is God is involved here. How easy it would have been for Joseph to think God had cursed him rather than God was with him. I tell you, some of the most favoured people I've met don't drive nice cars. Some of the most faithful people I know live in accommodation that's too small for their family. Some of the most fruitful people I know 
barely have any savings at all. Some do. Many don't. Many don't. Joseph here, he has, he has uh, no car. He has no job. He has no, uh, excuse me, he has no car, no home, no family, no savings. Yet the word of God would say the Lord was with him. This was the most favoured man on planet earth at this point in history. God caused all that he had to succeed in his hands. He showed Joseph steadfast love, gave him his favour. Therefore, favour doesn't necessarily correspond to clothes, cars or Bitcoin. Joseph's bank account wasn't very eventful, but Joseph's life was very fruitful. Perhaps you're watching here now today and you've prayed for favour. I want to say to you this, perhaps you've prayed for favour and you haven't realised you haven't realised that God's already answered your prayer. Joseph is the most favoured man on earth and he goes from slavery to sell. Jesus is the most favoured person ever. And Jesus would be homeless, unemployed, unmarried, unattractive. Favour for Jesus wasn't seen. <laughs> in the fact that he was homeless. The favour on Jesus was seen in the fact that though he was homeless, he would give many a home. Though he was unemployed, he would commission many disciples to work. Though he was unmarried, he would start the largest family in the history of the earth. And though he was unattractive with Isaiah telling us that, um, that he had no beauty, that we should desire him, he makes all who come to him radiant. Jesus, was there ever anyone, could there be anyone more favoured than the eternal Son of God, Jesus? Look at his life. Uh, Jesus was immensely favoured, immeasurably favoured, in fact, and he was immeasurably fruitful. And, and, and the favour of God, that's always ultimately what it will correspond to. God's favour leads to God's, leads to real fruitfulness. Uh, and if you are a Christian, you too have been immeasurably favoured by God. And the way it works is like this. The more you dwell on this favour, the more you enjoy this favour, the more you marinate in this favour, the more you chew on this favour, the more you abide in this favour, the more fruit you'll begin to bear. You'll bear fruit. John chapter 15, verse 4. You'll bear, you'll bear so much fruit. That might not necessarily mean financial fruit. It may mean financial fruit, but you'll be fruitful. And in your fruitfulness, by the grace of God, you are to be content. Where can you buy fruitfulness? How much does would fruitfulness cost in the open market today? It's what money can't buy. That's what God's given you. He's given you his favour. If you're a Christian, oh, you are so favoured. So friend, let me say this. Do you see God's favour in your life? Do you see it, friend? Are you content? Remember, God's hand of favour doesn't necessarily correspond to God's hand of finance. And while the two absolutely can, can cross paths, and they would cross paths for Joseph in a big way, later in his life but not in this chapter of his life
Perhaps, perhaps it's the same for you. Perhaps this isn't the chapter for financial favour. Perhaps you'll have to make do with the gorgeous fruit that God gives you in your life that money can't buy. So friend, for the sake of your joy, rethink your category of favour. And lastly, we, we see pretty much every week how um, the Bible um, is ever timeless and, 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 and always timely. Um, uh, it's remarkable to me. We, we read this. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eye on Joseph and said, lie with me. She was very subtle. Um, lie with me. Um, but he refused. But one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. Uh, Joseph here is, is a young man. And as a young man, Joseph has been uh, kidnapped, snatched from the care of his parents, sold. Uh, he's been forced to work as a slave. Uh, he's been forced to work as a slave in a foreign country. What we're seeing here is a 17-year-old being trafficked. And we heard last week from, from, from Matt Carvel how... how um, uh, there was a, a, a woman uh, that was abused by men. And, and this week, in the very next chapter, we see a man getting abused by a woman. Uh, Joseph would work a job where he would be objectified, where he would be sexualized, and where he would be groped. Uh, Joseph would lose his job because he would refuse to perform certain acts. This could have been taken straight out of today's papers. And if Joseph was walking on the earth today, uh, we, would, we would put jo Joseph in the uh, vulnerable category. He, he, he's, a, he's a vulnerable person, really. With This is what he has he's gone through. He's, he's lost his mother as a child. He, he's lost contact with his fathers. His brothers despised him. He has no family at all to rely on. He was bullied. He was kidnapped. He was trafficked. He was sold as a slave. He was sexualized. Uh, sadly, we see in our day and age, uh, oftentimes young people that have been through traumatic upbringings and, and, and later on, uh, uh, slightly later in life, still as a young person, uh, they get romantically involved with someone that's much older than them and, and for, for varying reasons that the relationship is inappropriate, but perhaps it is linked, very likely it's linked to things that happened early on in their life. And, and Joseph is in this very category. Joseph is by this time in his mid-twenties, at a time in a, a young man's life where sexual temptation is perhaps at its most intense. Joseph had every excuse to, to latch on to the older uh, Potiphar's wife here, who's showing him real interest. How many excuses did Joseph have? Uh, Joseph could literally have said, do you know what, I've had a really rough time these last few years, I really need this. Or, or I've, been, I've just been feeling really discouraged recently, I could do with a bit of comfort here. Or I've just been under so much pressure, I just, I just need an avenue just to, to release this pressure I'm under. Or, surely God wants me to be happy. 
But though Joseph's last few years were likely far more traumatic than your last few years, uh, Joseph would refuse to, to, to yield to sexual temptation. He'd refuse. It says this. It says Potiphar's wife would speak to Joseph, quote, day after day. And for those amongst us that, that struggle with sexual temptation, this is a temptation that comes day after day. With there being seasons where it can be relentless, actually, and, and frustratingly so. Truth is, with temptation, there is a difference. You know, what Joseph here, he's not a young man, as he's, re, as he's rejecting, really, and refusing Potiphar's wife, it's not because he's just, like, disgusted by her. That, for the reasons I've already explained, that would have been unlikely. He's tempted by her, but he's not giving in to temptation. And, and, and I need to spell this out. It seems like an obvious thing to say, but believe me, it's not. It's not a sin to be tempted, it's not a sin to be tempted. Uh, the Bible draws a, a huge, huge distinction between being tempted and succumbing to temptation, which the Bible says starts with lust in the heart. Actually, temptation has been a feature of human life, the human existence since the very, very beginning, with, with God placing the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, quote, in the midst of the garden. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. In the midst of the garden. Which means the first man and the first woman were, were called to walk past temptation every day. This, this was before Genesis 3. This was before the fall of humanity. This was before all things on the planet would go awry. This was actually in the period where the Bible says God seeing everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So, so God has never had an issue with you being tempted never had an issue with you being tempted it says Potiphar's wife would would come to him in secret uh, with this temptation for, for Joseph um, having many of the features of the sin of pornography with the temptation being day after day for Joseph with the temptation being easily accessible for Joseph with the temptation being in secret for Joseph. Often whispering in his ear even, lie with me. And while, while Joseph's life is, <laughs> is really like poetry, one of the defining features of Joseph in his life is actually his practicality. Uh, we would see Joseph be very practical uh, in this, uh, specifically in, in this way, in this passage. He would, it says this, he would not listen to her. He would not lie beside her. He would not be with her. That's what it says. He would not listen to her. He would not lie beside her. He would not be with her. Uh, what's going on here is Joseph is setting for himself rules and boundaries. He's, he's, he's basically saying, he's basically saying, I will not be alone in the same car as Potiphar's wife. I will not stay behind at work drinks uh, and be alone if everybody else leaves and it's just me and her. I will not do that. He's saying, I will not stalk her Instagram page. He's saying, I will not DM her. I will not private message her. He's, he's creating for himself rules and boundaries so that she couldn't chink his armour. 
But there was one day when none of the men of the house was there in the house. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But his garment, but he left his garment in her hand and fled. Joseph fled. Joseph fled. And one of the lies from one of the lies from the pit of hell is, is the following. The Bible commands us to flee sexual temptation. Uh, this is the case in Joseph's life. That's the principle that we're seeing. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul, likely with Joseph in mind, would say, flee sexual immorality. Uh, and so here's the lie. Um, if I flee from sexual temptation, surely the temptation will still be in my heart. And so if I'm fleeing from sexual temptation, it's never really truly dealt with. Surely, surely it'd be better for me to kind of face sexual temptation and, and no longer be tempted. And that's how I know I've defeated it. It's a, it's a, it's a wicked lie. It's a really evil lie. <laughs> um, it's really, really, really bad. Because, firstly, let me say this. If you flee sexual temptation and you still have temptation, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with that? God has no issue with you being tempted if if you are thinking that the, the 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 victory in the battle against sexual temptation is is never having temptation what you are ultimately saying is you are trying to be more holy than god because hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us that jesus in every respect was tempted as we are yet yet without sin he was tempted as we are yet without sin therefore to feel guilty for being sexually tempted is as to feel guilty for doing absolutely nothing wrong and if you think that the goal in against uh, to fight against in the fight against sexual temptation is never to have sexual urges what that can do what that pursuit can do dear friend is it can take a soft-hearted Christian that's well-meaning and, and put them ultimately in a place of depression. So I say this to you, in the name of Jesus, be loosed. Be loosed from all of these unrealistic expectations that are, you are putting on yourself. God, if you're tempted, there's no sin there. The temptation, when tem if temptation turns into uh, lust of the heart, when one begins to, to, to chew over uh, the temptation, when one begins to play out the temptation, that's when it becomes a sin and a problem. And let me say this. The Bible says, flee sexual temptation, flee. That's the only, there's only one command when it comes to sexual temptation. It doesn't, there's no, the, the only, it's the only temptation that, you win by running away. But what's interesting is that I would say this. I don't know any Christian. I don't know any genuine Christian that runs toward sexual temptation. I don't think I know any Christian, real Christian, that runs towards it. Most Christians drift towards it. Most Christians drift towards it. Uh, sexual temptation isn't like we see in the films um it's not like we see in you know the the soaps you know eastenders coronation street brookside you know those guys it's not like that how many times over the years has has this played out there's a platonic friendship between a man and a woman 
you know the scenes I'm talking about, where there's a man and a woman and they're in a, in, a, in a home by themselves and one of the two becomes terribly upset and the other one of the two genuinely and platonically goes over to, to comfort them, to make sure that they're okay. And within one second, they go from totally platonic to totally passionate. And that's how, oft, that's how so often the films depict sexual temptation. No, 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 okay? That's not how the Bible presents it. The Bible is far more realistic uh, when it comes to understanding the, the, its understanding of sexual temptation because very few Christians run towards sexual temptation. Most Christians drift, that struggle with it, drift towards sexual temptation. What this means is this. It means that warning signs get ignored. It means that means of escape get disregarded and it builds and it builds and it builds, going steadily up the gears till before you know it, you're at 60 miles an hour and it's difficult to stop a car at 60 miles an hour as opposed to 10. Most Christians drift towards it. Very few run towards it. Uh, to take the, 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 the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil for a moment. First of all, it starts off with you gazing at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then you begin to smell its fruit. Then you begin to count its leaves. Then you begin to measure its height. Then you begin to observe its bark. Before you know it, you say, do you know what? Let's sit under the tree for lunch. And then you end up saying, actually, let's just hug the tree that's not weird at all let's just just hug the tree and before you know it you're taking a, a bite from the fruit the forbidden fruit what is what's going on here is you're, you're actually you're going up the gears you're going up the gears apologies to any tree surgeons by the way um uh, on that analogy uh, i know you just want to do your job in peace, you know, measuring trees and, and sort of observing them. Um, uh, I, I don't want you to feel guilty for doing your day job. You, you mustn't hug the trees, though. That, that, that is weird. Um, but we, we can do this. We can do this. We can drift towards sexual temptation. So let me ask you this. And let's get practical. Let's go there. What's your gateway? How, where do you drift towards this stuff? Is it for you... When I say gateway, let me just explain just briefly. Uh, I use the term gateway. It's like a, a gateway drug. Something that gets you from 0 to 30 and then something else. The hard, the hard drugs get you from 30 to 60. What's, what's your gateway? What do you drift towards? Is it for you Instagram? Uh, do you look at pictures on Instagram from certain people that perhaps you shouldn't really be gazing at? Maybe it's not Instagram for you. Maybe it's Maybe it's... TikTok. Maybe you're viewing videos that aren't strictly for research purposes. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's newspaper websites. Maybe, again, it's pictures there. Get you from 0 to 30. Maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe, maybe for you it's Twitter. If it's not Twitter, it might be Netflix. Perhaps there are series or, or, or films that you watch on there that have scenes of a sexual nature and you know it. Friend, what you're doing is you're drifting. You're drifting. There are many others I could, I could say. So what is your gateway? You, you need to know yourself well enough to be able to say, this is my gateway. This is my gateway. Just quickly, this is the thing that could, 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 I could struggle with. Joseph was even willing to lose something. He was willing to sacrifice his garment. It says this, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. 
but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Friend, better to lose something. Better to lose the smartphone and get a non-smartphone. Better to lose the tablet. Better to lose the laptop than lose your peace. Dear friend, better to, to lose those things than lose your peace. And look, you may say, I don't have a problem with these things. You know, this is interesting stuff, Toby, but uh, I have other areas of uh, temptation. Um, sexual temptation isn't really my, my area of temptation. Uh, I would say this. I'd say, praise God. Praise God that, that you feel that's the case for you. But, but I, I wouldn't want you to um, be deceived. I wouldn't want you to get ahead of yourself either because none of us can approach God on this in this area and present our, our righteousness and God say, yep, yeah, that's good enough to, 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 to merit anything. No, we all rely on Jesus. And the person that has, doesn't really struggle in this area, they would say that, relies on Jesus just as much, just as much, just as much as the person that struggles terribly with this. But I will say it is true that not all people struggle to the same amount, to the same degree. But be on your, on your guard nevertheless, as I say, because in the Old Testament, we see that the strongest person um, struggle with sexual temptation, that is uh, Samson. We see the wisest person struggle with sexual temptation, that is Solomon. And we see the most worshipful person fall to sexual temptation, that is David. So if anybody thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Lastly, and I will finish here. Um, What's the word? So that's the word to those of us, um, those amongst us that um, feel like we don't struggle with sexual temptation. But what's the word to those amongst us that feel like that no, we do? Perhaps you are watching this and you know this is, you would say this is your, your biggest sin. Perhaps you've been struggling with it since you were a child, uh, since you were a teenager rather. Well, let me say this. I, I, this is what I, I hope will encourage you, actually. Because while Joseph faced temptation alone in a house, in, in Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus faced temptation alone in the desert. Where Potiphar's wife would come to Joseph day after day, the devil himself would come to Jesus day after day in Matthew chapter 4. Joseph's purity made him willing to lose his job. And Jesus' purity made him willing to lose his life. Joseph was tempted with Potiphar's wife and all of her glory. But Jesus was tempted with the kingdoms of the earth in all their glory. Though blameless, Joseph would endure the wrath of Potiphar. Though perfect, Jesus would endure the wrath of God. You know, when I look at the purity of Joseph... I say, well done, Joseph. Good for you. But when I look at the purity of Jesus, I say, hallelujah, Jesus. Good for me. Because as you examine the purity of Jesus in the, in the Gospels, you're examining the purity of yourself. Because Jesus gives you his purity as a gift, as a total gift, through, received through faith, appropriated, taken, taken unto yourself through faith. It's never been about your works, dear friend. It's never been about your efforts to try and please God. It's always been about his. So let me say this. Come, 
come to Jesus. Come to Jesus now. Repent of your sin. Confess your sin. But receive the joy of the righteous, the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of God that's been given to you as a gift. He holds absolutely nothing against you. And he regards you as if you never, ever sinned because of Jesus. Amen. Amen.